verses in the house of prayer. It's about a woman named Anna who is a prophetess. And we take great courage from her testimony in scripture. And we see that the Lord is doing something very similar in our day as to what he did in Anna's time. Let me just read these passages and I just want to pray for people. This is Luke 2 verse 36 says, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage or seven years from her virginity. And then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them, that's Simeon, uh, as he was prophesying over Jesus, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, that's Jesus, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, Anna, as a young woman, she, let's say she got married when she was about 17. She stays married about seven years, what the scripture tells us. And then she's tragically widowed at around 20, 24 years old. And at 24, she makes a decision to serve the Lord in worship and prayer and, and fasting night and day. And she does that as the main focus and thrust of her life for the next 60 years. Everybody say 60. That's incredible. Uh, we've been going about 11 years night and day in the house of prayer here. And sometimes it feels like it's been 100. Glory. But she went 60 and she did it, let's just get it in context, under the Old Testament, before believers were able to be born again because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet and before they were filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that we are. So she really slugged away in the place of intercession is what I'm trying to say. Now, the Lord used Anna in that day and others like John the Baptist and Simeon as intercessors and prophetic voices unto the first coming of the Lord, unto Jesus coming uh, in the flesh. And what we see the Lord's doing right now in this generation is all over the earth, he's raising up these little pockets of believers, houses of prayer, all over the nations, everywhere, literally, I have gone, I've gone to 30-something nations, there are little groups and sometimes big groups of believers who want to see night and day worship and prayer raised up in their region. And so what we believe is this, just like the Lord raised up Anna in that generation until the Lord's first coming, right now he's raising up many, many, many across the nations, putting the same grace on them that he put on Anna, and he's releasing night and day worship and prayer all over the globe unto the Lord's second coming. He used Anna in that day unto, and, and Simeon and others unto the Lord's first coming, and in this hour, I mean, literally thousands of places are seeking night and day worship and prayer with those who have hearts to, to burn before the Lord in worship and prayer at, with fasting as like their vocation. Right here, we have about 45 domestic staff who their vocation, full-time and part-time, their vocation is to, the primary thing is to be before the Lord in fasting and prayer. Now, they do a bunch of other works of ministry, but the, the first work is to minister to the heart of the Lord to keep night and day worship and prayer going. We have about 25 international staff that are missionaries in six different locations. 
that do the exact same thing. They do night and day worship and prayer, and then they do gospel outreach all over the place, even to people that have never heard the name of Jesus. Here's what I wanted to do as we were just worshiping. I just felt like the Lord was nudging me to share this with you. I just wanna pray for you. Maybe Anna's testimony resonates with your own heart, and you'd say, you know what? I, I don't know about forever, but I do know that I would love to take a season of my life and have fasting and prayer with worship night and day as the main thrust of my vocation. I would love to do that, where being before the Lord in worship and prayer is the main thing that I do. If you have that desire, that doesn't come from the flesh, and it's definitely not the devil. That's the Lord. He's putting that in there. He's doing something in your heart, and uh, it's what he's doing all over the earth. He's releasing, like I like to say like this, he's releasing permission across the globe for people to enter into that same grace that Anna had and do it as their vocation. So if you'd say that's you, you feel that nudge, and maybe you don't know, maybe you think just even a six-month season would be something you'd be interested in, or three months, or maybe you just go, I don't know, open-ended. If the Lord would provide, I would do that for my whole life. Uh, if that's you, I wanna pray for you. I wanna ask the Lord to make it clear to you. I wanna ask him to release finances to you. And I wanna ask him to release the grace that was on Anna for you. I want him to ask, I'm gonna ask him to put that on you. So if that's you, if that, if that resonates with your own heart, you say, I'd like to spend a season before the Lord serving him, <clears throat> serving him in night and day worship and prayer as my vocation, I wanna pray for you. Just go ahead and stand. <clears throat> I did this call when I was in Uganda just two weeks ago to a room of, I don't know, 300 people. And out of 300, about 300 stood. <laughs> so we were opening the, the facility there. I said, if you'd like to serve the Lord with night and day worship and prayer as your vocation, even for a season, just stand and I mean, the whole room stood. I go, wait, okay, let's try this again. <laughs> make sure we know what we're talking about. And they stayed standing. They were hungry for it. Amen. Anyone else? Good. I think if all of you guys came on staff here, we'd just about double our staff. Glory to God. <laughs> it's a word from the Lord. Who knows? Who knows the time or season? Who knows when, how? The Lord knows. He knows. He's the one that provides and makes a way. Amen. All right, let's just stretch our hands out towards these that are standing. And let's ask the Lord to make a way. Lord, right now, I thank you for the testimony of Anna. We thank you that this prophetess who was an intercessor and an evangelist, we thank you for her testimony that before the first coming of the Lord, she had grace to fast and pray as her vocation. So Lord, I'm even right now asking of that same grace to come on these, release power by the Holy Spirit to enable them just like you do with Anna. And Lord, I ask for financial provision just like you did the Levites of old. Release the finances through many different avenues. Release the finances to make a way, even when there seems to be no way. And Lord, I ask for the spirit of prophecy and revelation, the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. Just make it clear to the heart. This is what you're asking and what you're leading. And I just ask for clarity, even dreams and visions, even prophetic words, and then just confirm it in the heart that this is what you're asking and this is the way you're leading. So we thank you for the finances. We thank you for the direction and we thank you for the grace like what was on Anna. Release it to these. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. amen. You may be seated. 
If that resonates with you and you want to get more information, you can go to our Connections Hub there at the back at the end of the service. And there'll be somebody there that can point you in the right direction, let you know about internships that we offer, all sorts of ways that you can get more involved here in the house of prayer. <clears throat> all right, you have your uh, outline there in front of you. We're on part two of the series that we just started on eternal rewards. I like to pray a lot, so let's pray again. I need help. You, you wonder why I always pray before I preach. It's because I need help. <laughs> I need the Lord to help me. See, that's, that's my friend there. He knows. <laughs> yeah, you need help, brother. <laughs> but no, that, that's why. I, I need the Lord to help me. If I don't, if I don't get the, the, if the Lord doesn't give me the words, I don't get much to say. And I don't want to stand up here and be a clanging gong. I want to have words of life. Lord, right now, we thank you for your word. Your word is life. So help me to speak it with truth and clarity. I'm asking for the power of the Holy Spirit to release revelation in the room, put clarity on every mind, and like lightning, would you release revelation to our spirit, to our soul? Lord, sharpen our vision as it relates to the subject of eternal rewards. Even grip our hearts with conviction and focus. And Lord, stand with me and hold my hand. Let me speak as your oracle, I ask. In the name of Jesus, everyone said amen. All right, we're on part two, and let's just go ahead and pull out the outline, and let's look at the recap. If you missed last week, I will give you last week's message in ABCD. I'll give it to you in four points. So last week, we just sort of did an introduction, just sort of set the table, and we talked about the, uh, I would say, the primacy, the importance of eternal rewards. You know, most people don't recognize, they would, they would agree that eternal rewards are a thing, like that they're in the Bible and that the Lord talks about them, but they don't recognize the importance of eternal rewards. They don't see them as, as important. But, but here's the thing, that the rewarding of the saints, when the Lord returns, the rewarding of the saints, it's one of the, the central themes of the New Testament. In fact, that's, that was A, Secondly, Jesus uses eternal rewards. He talked about it more than any other writer in the New Testament. And he uses eternal rewards as the primary way that he motivated people to works of righteousness, eternal rewards. So when you read through the gospels and you read the teaching of Jesus, he is virtually all the time pointing to the rewards that he himself will bring and give out to believers. So if it's that important to Jesus, if it's got that level of primacy and the, the New Testament, it needs to be that important to us. And that's the key. We can say it's important, but if we don't live day to day uh, as if, you know, for eternal rewards, then it really isn't that important. So often we live for natural commendations, natural rewards, and, and those things are fine, but what I said last week was when you compare any natural reward or natural commendation that you get with an eternal reward, the natural reward, even the highest one, is virtually meaningless. Oh, see, now I'm preaching, see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Nobel Prize compared to anything Jesus would reward a saint with is virtually meaningless. 
Because of the duration, because of the office, the authority that comes from an eternal reward versus what it comes from the Nobel, even the Nobel Prize office. And then C, I did these out of order, but C, we talked about how what the Lord says he's going to reward is completely different than what we tend to focus on rewards uh, for here and now. In other words, the human means that we use for rewards here and now, it's really not what the Lord is looking at. He rewards things like obedience and faithfulness, fasting and prayer, humility, perseverance, suffering for righteousness, diligently seeking the Lord, generosity and love. Those are the things that the Lord is looking for so that he can reward us. Now, when you read that list, and that's not an exhaustive list, that's just a bunch of the things that, said that, that the Bible says we will be rewarded for. But when you read that list, there's something that immediately jumps to my mind. Number one is it doesn't take any talent, any special ability to do those things. It takes the same grace for each of us to do those things. You, you don't have to be tall, praise God. You don't have to be smart, glory to God. You don't have to be anything, but a person in need of the grace of God who follows through on the power of grace. That's all you have to be. You don't have to be a good singer. You don't have to be talented in a bunch of different ways. None of that matters. God's not rewarding who could sing the best solo. He doesn't reward the stuff that we, we reward. We give gold medals for the fastest runner. Unfortunately, there won't be a fast runner contest that Jesus is gonna reward people for. And thank God there isn't because there's a lot of slow people out there. I'm one of them. But these points are all things that almost go under the radar in terms of importance, but they're critically important in the kingdom of God. And that's what I wanna get our minds on is how the Lord is thinking about, you know, the ultimate moment that he gets to reward you and I how he's thinking about that, how he's building our lives in a way so that he can reward us. And I, I wanna get us to the place where this is of primary importance to us so that we literally live every single day in light of that day when he's gonna reward us. I will tell you, the most important day in your life is still in front of you. Even if you're 80 years old in this room, it's the day you stare Jesus in the eye. That's the most important day of your life. It's still in front of you, and that day can be the day of the greatest wonder, the most majestic, most amazing, awesome day of your life. Or it can also be a day that the Bible talks about where people literally suffer loss. I'm talking about believers. I'm only talking about believers. I'm not talking about people who are not saved. What a horrifying day if you haven't made Jesus your Lord to stare him, in front, stare him in the eye and you look at him right in front of you and you're standing there with the weight of all your sin and, and, and you haven't trusted his sacrifice for you. That's a day nobody, nobody wants to experience. But even for believers, there's a, a moment of reckoning. I call it our great review where the Lord goes through the detail of our lives and he rewards us on the basis of works we've done in righteousness. I said this last week, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. 
We don't, we, there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's fully on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and his shed blood. But then the scriptures are absolutely clear. Though we're saved by grace, we're rewarded on the basis of our works. Whoop. That should get your attention. Now, that day of reward or suffering loss is still in front of you. It's the most important appointment of your life. And it's coming. It's a day in front of you. My goal is that that would be the best day for you ever. That it would just be the day of just mind-blowing awesomeness. And that you would literally, like the Bible says, have confidence when you stand before him. Did you know you can have confidence when you stand before him on that day? And the way to do that is by living every day in this age in light of that day. And that's my goal, that we would place the same importance upon it as the Lord does. All right, that was all of last week's message. I did it in a few more than four points, but there it is. All right, look at Roman numeral two. Now, as soon as I say judgment seat, rewarding of the saints, suffering loss, all of a sudden it's like the, the air goes out of the room. Everybody's like, oh dear God. And there is that sense of like the fear of the Lord, like the awesomeness of God, the the wonder of what it's gonna be like when we stand before him. And then the whole thought of he knows everything. Yeah, he does. All the hidden things, absolutely. He knows all that too. And and, and so there's this sense of like, uh uh-oh, a little bit whenever I talk on this subject. But what I wanna do is I wanna actually get our minds around who it is that we're going to be standing in front of and what's in his mind when it comes down to eternal rewards. And then I wanna take this whole subject and dial it in on how you can walk day in and day out thinking about eternal rewards and how your day in and day out will impact that day at the judgment seat. All right, Roman numeral two, God's generosity. I want us to think about God's generosity and his motivation as it relates to how he relates to us and then connect that to this concept of rewarding the saints. Now think about this. When Jesus, when God sends Jesus, the father sends the son to be a sacrifice for humanity's sins. God so loved the world that he gave. I mean, he's so generous. He gives his only son to pay for the sins of the world, a people who are happy in our sin, who are rebellious towards God, who the scripture says that we're not seeking the Lord. He sends Jesus to pay for us so that we can have everlasting life. That is, I mean, astoundingly generous. He gives his only son to die in our place. God is absolutely kind and generous. You think about the cross. I pray that you think about the cross regularly and that it evokes a sense of gratitude in your soul and that you can live day in and day out out of that gratitude. Just a a big thank you, God, for loving me and saving me. Thank you for sending your son for me. And here's the thing. That whole transaction by which he gives us Jesus and Jesus willingly dies and sheds his blood and is tortured for us. And then we say yes, by the grace of God, we say yes. And then God 
forgives us, delivers us, justifies us, sanctifies us, and gives us salvation. He saves us. That whole transaction is amazingly generous. And then, like, but wait, there's more. Then he goes, now, every act of righteousness, it's in my heart to bless you for that. I want to give you more. And there's sort of this certain sense of like, you know, did you get it? Like you gave us everything already. He goes, no, no, you don't know who I am. I want to give you so much more. I want to give you everything. It's my good pleasure to give you my whole kingdom. I want to reward you. I want to crown you. I want to clothe you. I, I want to give you treasures. Jesus says, you're gonna, you're gonna heap up treasures. Like in heaven. I'm like, what is that? I mean, the book of Revelation alone and, and the first few chapters, he gives us 18 different rewards. In the New Testament, there are five different crowns. And that doesn't even cover the concept of like broad thought treasures, gold, silver, precious stones. I, I don't really get it. There's so much he says he wants to give. And then he ultimately says, I want to give the whole kingdom to my children. God is so generous. He's so kind. His nature is so kind and merciful. I put this right here in, in the notes. We got to get our, our thoughts centered on his nature. The Lord, Psalm 145, 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. My point is this, when you're thinking about the judgment seat, you're coming to the God who is gracious and generous and tender and merciful, and he's wanting to reward you. You know, I'm a dad, my kids, I do school. You know, school is a, you know, for some kids it's easy, they just do it, they love it. Not my family, praise God. That, my wife is like, I, she goes, I used to like school. I go, they must have got all my genes because I don't, never liked school. I was bad at it, hated it. I, was just, I couldn't wait for the weekend, couldn't wait, couldn't wait for recess, the weekend, and summer. That was my best, favorite part of school. Getting out, lunch was my favorite subject, followed by PE. I mean, it just, I just didn't like it. And my boy's got the same thing, but there's a thing in my heart where I'm like, guys, I want you to do well. If you do well, we're gonna do good for you. Do good in school, we're gonna bless you. Like, come on, man, like, come on, get the vision. <laughs> and my boys do well. But the point is, there's a thing in me as a dad, it's my good pleasure to reward them. I don't think like, Wow, if they do good, uh, I was really hoping they'd do bad because I wanted to smash them. I wanted to review their grades at the end of the year. I wanted just to drill them. Darn, they did well. I won't get to judge them harshly. But some of us think that that's how God is. He's like, oh, I can't wait for the judgment seat because I'm gonna judge some people. I mean, it's, he's not like that. 
He's eagerly looking forward to the judgment seat because he's eagerly looking forward to rewards and to rewarding you. That's where his heart is in this matter. Now, listen, I'm telling you, the judgment seat, it's a place of awe. It's a place that should evoke the sense of the fear of the Lord, the the wonder and the awe of God. There should be a little tremble in there. I don't think you should take it flippantly, but I'm asking you to consider the nature of God and he is the one who's conducting the judgment seat and his nature is good and he's kind and he's merciful. And he's looking to reward every lean of your heart towards righteousness. That's what he's looking for. And that's sort of the sense of what the, the, the judgment seat is about. It's God's motivation based on his generosity. And, and here's the, the really, the thing is, God is deeply moved when his people lean into righteousness, when they press against unrighteousness. When in our frailty and in our frame that we're just dust with grace, you know, infusing us and the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, that in that frame, in that package, we say no to the temptations of the flesh. We say no to those temptations in our mind. And we just go, no, 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 I love Jesus. I resist temptation and I want righteousness. God is up there and it's moving his heart. It's, it's, he's receiving that as love which is what Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And so our, the little movements of our heart to obey the Lord, the Lord receives that as love and it moves his heart. His heart is tender and he goes, oh, I wanna bless you back. You love me, I wanna bless you, I love you. And that's what the judgment seat is supposed to be about for the saints. Luke 12, 32 says, do not fear little flock, the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I don't know if you can give me a little bit more on the mic. I'm just, I've got nothing in the monitor. My voice is a little weak, so just help me a little bit. And so it's his generosity, his loving kindness towards us that's expressed in every single reward. And, And here's what I think, I mentioned this last week, but you know, every single reward the Lord gives has a bit of his nature in it. It has a bit of who he is in it. What I mean is this. So, you know, he says that in James that he'll give us the crown of life to those who, who resist temptation. Well, I, you may not be a person who wears crowns a lot, but I promise you when you get that crown, you'll want to wear it all the time. But it's not going to be like any crown you've ever dreamt of. It's going to be beautiful. I guarantee you it'll be, it'll be a, a wonder to behold, but it will be filled with the attribute that it is. In other words, the crown of life will be filled with life. You're gonna put that thing on, you're gonna go, whoa. I've never had an article of clothing or a piece of jewelry that felt this good because the nature of God is actually in the very thing that he rewards you with. And I love the first uh, Corinthians chapter two, nine, you know the verse, but I think about this in terms of the eternal rewards as I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The things that he's prepared for you, the rewards that he's prepared for you, the, the, the point he's making is they are mind blowing. They're far beyond anything you've ever dreamt of. You know, we see the, the, the righteous acts of the saints 
in the book of Revelation, the righteous acts of the saints, they're given back to us in a white garment. And so everybody, you know, I don't know what you picture, but you're gonna get this white garment. And if you're picturing like sort of this like frock, like this long sort of choir robe situation that you probably wouldn't want to wear all the time, I guarantee you, you're not picturing the right white garment. You know, when a, a woman gets married, she puts on a white garment, that, that, that bridal dress. And that dress, man, that, that thing is supposed to be a knockout dress. And I've done a bunch of weddings for people and man, those dresses are fantastic. You know, they're embroidered and all these different fabrics and they're just, you know, and, and that woman in that dress is just, I mean, just glorious to behold. And, and, and you guys are going, well, I'm not, I'm not really into white dresses. You know, I'm not hoping I don't get a white dress. I'm sure there's a white suit for you. A robe suit nonetheless, but it's something good that you're gonna wanna wear. My point is, we, we don't have a picture of this stuff, so we just, I'm gonna get a white robe. I don't really like white robes. Uh, you, you know, we just don't have a real picture. I'm telling you, whatever God rewards you with, it is going to be of the most fantastic nature and wonder and majesty. You're gonna want every single one of them. And then the point isn't to put it on so you can strut around and be like, look at my robe. Your robe is kind of, you know, sketchy. But mine, these are all, it's, that's, the point isn't to one-up each other. The point is that God's desire is to bless his people with good things because he's generous. He's generous and he, and he wants it to be good. I uh, was thinking about how the subject of rewards works and how so often we don't comprehend the way that life is. You know, we don't understand that God allows difficulty and trial into our lives so often for the building of us in our character and, 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 and really for the qualifying us of us in reward. You know, 2 Corinthians 4 says the momentary light afflictions that we experience, they're working for us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. The momentary light afflictions are working for us a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Romans 5, he says that we glory in tribulations because tribulations produces endurance and endurance hope and ultimately hope and, and godly character and ultimately it doesn't disappoint because the love of God is, is shed abroad in our heart. And, and, and ultimately that whole transaction is this. He, we glory in trials unto experiencing the love of God even back to ourselves, even in eternal rewards. In other words, God thinks it's a good idea, hallelujah, for you to go through trials so he can reward you for your perseverance. His perspective on it is completely different than ours. We get a trial and we go, ah, oh, God's forsaken me. And then God goes, no, I'm helping you. I'm trying to get you a crown right now. Hang in there, make it through, be faithful, and I will bless you. My, um, my little daughter, so the other day, uh, so, you know, you always want your kids to clean up their room. And um, she doesn't have the gift of cleaning up her room. She's six, but it's, you know, some little six-year-olds are just tidy and she's just not. 
So routinely you go in that room and everything she owns is on the floor. I mean, it's as if she's just gone through every little nook and cranny and thrown it all on the floor to find whatever she wants. So I went in the room the other day and it was like some bomb went off. I said, okay, it's, you know, she gets like one video a day. It's gonna be video time here in a minute. Okay, here's the deal that you gotta, you gotta clean the room before we watch the video. Okay, just gonna clean the room. She's like, oh, okay. I go, so what that means is we need everything that's on the floor that's not supposed to be on the floor, like the bed, it should be on the floor, but everything else shouldn't be. <laughs> let's get all the stuff that's on the floor that's not supposed to be on the floor, let's get it off the floor. And we'll call the room clean if you do that. She goes, oh, okay. And so I go away and five minutes later, she goes, come and check it, dad. And I walk up there and there's about three things she's picked up. And the whole room is still just covered. I go, I go, okay, so maybe you didn't get what I was saying. Like I want all the stuff off the floor that's not supposed to be on the floor. So like this, 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 and this, we want to put that all away. All right. She goes, oh, okay, yeah. I go, okay, I'll just call me when you're done. And it's literally five minutes later. She goes, come on, come and check. <laughs> I come up there and she's made a little progress, but there are still hundreds of items on the floor. I go, baby, I mean all of it, like all of it. Video time is coming, just clean it up. We can do this, you got this. She goes, okay. And I go away and I, I'm downstairs and I can hear her. <laughs> <laughs> She's crying. And I walk out there, I go, baby, what, <laughs> what's going on? It's just too hard. <laughs> I go, babe, I understand putting all this stuff away is hard. We can give it all away if you so desire and then you won't have to put it away. She goes, no. And she'd been very generous with some of her toys and given them away just recently. And she, oh, no, I, I can do this. I go, okay, all of it off the floor, babe. You can do this. It's not hard. The paper things, throw those away. Put the toys away. You can do this. She goes, okay. And I go away and I can hear her singing. She's singing. I'm downstairs and she's la, 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 la. She's up there singing. And I'm like, what is going on up in this room? 15, 20 minutes goes by. Well, she's making some progress or she has completely done something different. And she comes and gets me. She goes, are you ready to check? I go, sure. And I go up there and it looks great. I go, you did it. You did it. I knew you could do it. You get to have video time. I go, but I gotta know something. Were you singing? She goes, uh-huh. I go, why, why were you singing? Because if I didn't sing, I would have been crying. <laughs> Guys, that's like the trials of this life. It seems impossible. I can't do it. God's going, you really can. From my perspective, this isn't that hard. I'll see you through. But I can't, God. He goes, just sing. Just sing and just be faithful. In a minute, you'll be through it. And man, you know, it was my good pleasure to go, it's video time now, babe. Enjoy it. But I just thought so often, how often, thought about how often are we sitting there crying over something simple? And the answer is just to sing, to worship him 
as we faithfully go through the hard thing that we don't want to do. That's the journey into eternal rewards, guys. It's way more like that. All right. Finally, the cross and eternal rewards. And that, that story sets us up for this last portion of the message. Now, here's the deal. I've never seen it before, you know, until like two weeks ago. But Jesus clearly ties in the issue of living the cross with us receiving eternal rewards. He ties them together. And, I, and I'd never really put that together before. I just thought, well, he died for us. We have to live for him. That means we have to live and, and, and take up our cross, which is what the Bible does say. Now, now, we know this, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And just simply, you know, believing in the gospel, we rejoice in the finished work of the cross, but the believing of it isn't the finality of it. There's actually the walking of it out, right? Faith and obedience, you know, that's how it works together. You know, James says, faith without works is dead. So there's a believing and then a living out of the gospel. And it's in that, that the power of God is the most released for us and to us and through us. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When we believe it and we live it, not only are we born again and our spirit comes alive, but there's a transformation that happens in our life. It's the power of the gospel day in and day out as we choose the cross that we're transformed by. Now, what Jesus said in Matthew 16 is very interesting because he ties these two concepts together of living out the cross and receiving eternal reward. And it's in that, when we live the cross, that the power of God is, is the most available to us. Now watch this, Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And those are three different things that all work together. I'm gonna break them down for us in just a minute. Anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And then this next two verses, I just imagine Jesus talking with his disciples asking like really intense questions. He goes, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I can just imagine Jesus getting the disciples around and going, guys, have you thought about the value of your soul? Have you thought about how valuable your own soul is? What would you give for your soul? What could somebody offer you for your soul? Is there anything more important than your soul? I can just imagine Jesus having the conversation. And, and, and as they're looking into his eyes, they're like, oh, no, no, there's nothing I would trade for my own soul. And see, when you kind of put it in that, that kind of context, it gets so real. But all the time, don't we see people, they're going after all the things of the world and they're losing their own souls. They're exchanging their soul for temporal treasures that will ultimately fade away. But man, when you dial it into Jesus, looking you in the eye and asking the questions, you're like, oh, I'd never give anything for my soul. 
He goes, yeah, you got it right. He goes, there's nothing as valuable as your own soul. There's a value to life, a value to your soul. Now he goes, if you wanna follow me, here's the trick, here's the key. You gotta, you gotta deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He goes, think about the value of your soul. And then in verse 27, he ties it right to his return and the rewarding of the saints. For the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels and then he reward each according to his own works. Here's the point I'm making. All of that is connected. Because you wanna follow me? You gotta deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Because your soul is the most valuable, important thing there is. You wouldn't trade anything for it, would you? He goes, keep in mind that I'm getting ready to come back and I'm gonna reward people for how they manage their life, how they live the cross and how they tended their soul. That's what the conversation is. Now, these three points about following Jesus and taking up our cross, let me just break them down for you because I think we can read that through and, and kind of get a, a, maybe not a clear picture of what Jesus is actually saying there. When Jesus says, let him deny himself, now I, I think that could include um, probably what most people imagine is uh, temporal pleasures. Most people probably think immediately he's saying temporal pleasures. You gotta deny yourself temporal pleasures. And, and I think it could include that, but I don't actually think that's the primary thing he's aiming for. What I think he's actually aiming for uh, you know, is, is about denying the, um, the option that you have to exert your will, your attitude, go after your own preferences, to indulge in sort of internal activities where you actually stray from the nature and the will of God. He's talking about the limiting, the limiting of your own attitude and actions and behaviors, your words, your thoughts, and your deeds. He's talking about what we would think are way more subtle issues and not these, these broader issues. Um, it's primarily about this indulgence to sort of like speak our mind, get our way, uh, demand our preferences. <laughs> what we don't realize is we're so used to not denying ourselves in those ways, we chalk that, what I've just described, up to human rights. It's my right to say what I wanna say. No one can talk to me like that. Oh yeah, I'm meddling all over your toes right now. Did you hear what they said to me? No, 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 nobody treats me that way. I'm gonna tell them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know who I am, they can't do that. Get over on me like that, uh-huh, well, they're, they're gonna find out who they were messing with. There's this thing that we have on the inside to self-protect, self-promote, to take care of self, self-privilege, self-preference, and it's completely opposite of the cross. Denying yourself has to do with this, that you have the option, but you say no. Stuff like anger, complaining, self-pity. 
I find this, that out of the, the things that people get wrapped up with, self-pity can be the most lethal out of anything. It's just, just people just feeling sorry for themselves because of the challenges and the difficulties that they're going through and nobody cares. God doesn't even care because at the, at the bottom of the pit of self-pity is an accusation against who God is. He's led me badly. He's led me wrong. He doesn't care. He won't take care of me. Why should I serve him? Nobody loves me. Nobody thinks of me. Nobody's looking out for me. I deserve better. Self-pity is one of the most strangulating kind of sins there is. Anger. You know, people cut you off and you're gonna go tell them something. I was uh, driving on 285 yesterday. It takes the grace of God to drive on Highway 285 in Atlanta. And there was one of those cars that was doing the whole like race car thing. Like if there was an opening, they're like gonna go get it and just like turn it and just drive and just, you know what I mean? They just, and they're like creating more traffic because of their race car style. And it's heavy traffic and they're like crazy with it. And I look and there's like this you know, person and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know, they're just, I'm like, oh, glory to God. In the moment, and my wife was asleep seeking the Lord a dream. In the moment, I had that feeling that I wanted to go catch that person and instruct them more rightly in the ways of righteousness and good driving. And I start, I felt it. I was like, ooh, this little forerunner can pick up to that little car right there. And I, and I, it's, I felt that option. And I just had to bring it right on back on my dad. Jesus, bless them with slower driving ability and some wisdom and help them to not be an idiot in the name of the Lord. And I, had to, I just had to hang on for a minute. Because had I operated in that moment, I would have got into anger that doesn't bring the glory of God. But here's the thing. This is just a little side note for if you're a race car driver person. We went 30 minutes down the road. And do you know that car went around me? There was actually two of them. There was one behind and one one front. They were all around. And we went 30 minutes down the road. And the, the main one, it had gotten a full five cars ahead of me in 30 minutes, total waste. And the other one was behind me. And I was like, steady plotting wins the race. I was like, book of Proverbs, here we go. Steady plotting brings reward. But there's, there's always these opportunities for anger and retaliation. I wanted to retaliate, self-pity, complaining. I think about how often the challenge has come and in the name of a prayer request, I've complained about the difficulty. You know what I'm saying? I just need you to pray for me. This thing is ridiculously hard. (laughs) These people are acting ridiculous. The ministry is ridiculous. Oh, but just pray for me for grace. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? We know how to candy the thing up any way we want, but it is what it is. Denying yourself is about denying anger, complaining, self-pity, retaliation, covetousness, pride, 
But all that has all that self-absorption, self-protection. You know, people get your title wrong or they get your position wrong or they get something about you, some detail about you wrong and you gotta make sure they know. And the Lord the whole time is looking at all of it and he's just looking for the righteous seed coming into bloom on the inside, just that little piece in you where you just go, you know what, I'm just gonna deny the desire of my heart to retaliate, the desire of my heart to prop myself up, I'm just gonna deny it. I'm just gonna trust you to make it right. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's what I think it's primarily about, guys. Deny yourself. It's not primarily about all these external pleasures. Sometimes it's that, I think. But I think primarily it's about these internal things. And then he says, take up your cross. That, you know, that's become a phrase that people use, take up your cross. <clears throat> it's got this idiom to it. But, but if you get it down to really what Jesus was talking about, uh, you know, when somebody actually died under the, the crucifixion, they would actually have to carry that cross beam uh, a bit of ways up to the crucifixion site. Jesus himself carried the cross beam. It weighed about 100 pounds is what historians tell us. Carried that cross beam about a, a half mile you know, himself. And so taking up your cross is about bearing up under difficult circumstances and not quitting, but persevering. That's what taking up your cross is. It's Jesus' journey under the weight of the cross beam. You know, uh, too often believers, they get in a difficult situation and then they use little Christian cliches that I don't really think are, are really the Lord, but they'll say things like, you know, when, when, when it gets hard, they'll say, you know, I just feel like the grace has lifted. Anybody ever heard the grace has lifted? Oh, maybe you said the grace has lifted. Here's the thing. Grace doesn't make life easy. That's not what grace is about. Grace is divine enablement that enables you to stay faithful through trials. That's grace. Grace is God strengthening your legs to stand. And when you've done all to stand, you stand. That's grace. We have this idea that if, it's, if there's grace on it, it's just easy, smooth, all glory. I can tell you 25 years or 23 years of ministry, I can tell you that's not grace. I mean, sometimes you feel this whoosh of the Lord and it's like, wow, everything's wonderful. But grace is mostly about this, that you couldn't have gone one step further, but the power of God was on you and you found yourself stepping even when you knew you couldn't. And you kept stepping and you kept stepping and you kept stepping and all of a sudden you weren't in the valley anymore and you're like, wow, how did I get through that? Grace. That's taking up your cross. It's persevering through trials and not quitting when it gets difficult. Not quitting on Jesus, not quitting on the assignment he's given you, not quitting on what he's asking you for. The other thing Christians love to say is, well, my season is changing. You know, my season is changing. I go, well, of course it is. Springtime, then summer, then fall, then winter. Seasons change all the time. Some believers, they move every time it changes to winter. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It goes from fall, that's harvest, like glory to God. And they go, oh, seasons change, gotta move. Because they imagine everything is a perpetual harvest. But I will tell you, harvest is followed by winter. Winter. 
And guess what you don't do in winter is move. You stay put, you hunker down, you hang in there, and though it's cold and though it's hard and though there's death everywhere, you keep going because guess what? Spring is coming. Spring is coming. That's taking up your cross. Persevering in the grace of God, even when it's hard. Not giving up, not changing because the seasons change. Not saying I don't have the grace. You know what? I guarantee you, grace is available to those who humble themselves. It's available. Humble yourself and grace is available. And I know there's difficult situations and I know the Lord does change things with people. I know that. Like we we are so open-handed with people. We're like, bless you and whatever God's called you to do. But I'm just saying like so often Christians have these little phrases that are not even biblical. The grace is lifted. Find the verse for me. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself and God will pour out grace on you. Until the grace is lifted, what's that say about you? Now I'm just meddling, but it's true. You know now what to to not say if you come to my office for counseling. I see you talk to you, I just feel like the grace is lifted. Oh, I feel like something else too. I'm about to have to deny myself talking to you. All right. Lord doesn't want us to quit when our responsibilities are difficult. By the grace of God to carry our cross and enduring the pressure, enduring the trial because the trial and the pressure is working for you a far more eternal and exceeding reward. Trials are constructed by God to help you receive rewards. He walks you through the trials because he's qualifying you for blessing. So through the difficulties, we, just, we are to respond to God with gratitude and faith, to keep serving people patiently, Carrying one's cross looks different for every individual because your cross is not my cross. The area that you have to persevere through is not the area that I have to persevere through. The area that I have to persevere through is not the area that you have to persevere through. I don't have your spouse. Let the reader understand. You know what I'm saying? All of our paths are different, so all of our crosses are different. persevering by the grace of God that's carrying across. And then follow me. So there's the denying of your, of your you know, own opinion, preferences, all that. And then there's the persevering through carrying the cross. And then there's the following Jesus, which is pressing into righteousness. It's asking God for, for you know, patience. It's asking God for the godly attitudes and actions. And then going for it, like diligently obeying when you don't feel it. One of the challenges I think that we've gotten attuned to in this generation is we, we begin to believe that what we feel is truth. Guys, what we feel is not truth. Truth is truth. Am I making, it's too often, well, I felt like this and that's just how it is. No, our feelings will deceive us. The guy that led me to the Lord, he used to say, you don't go by what you feel, you go by what you know. Because feelings will deceive you. We press in to to obediently following even when we don't feel it. We press in to all the attributes of God that cause our souls to be rich. 
and enriched. And, and we follow through on our assignment, even throughout all the different seasons. Okay, just flipping forward, I'm on the last page now. And this is where I wanna land this, but I, I need you to connect to me these next five minutes. This is important. So he says that he will reward each one according to our works. So it's the denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus. He goes, your soul is worth everything. Don't sell out, stay with it. And I'm coming to reward. And he ties in the concept of, of walking out the cross with eternal rewards. And here's the point. In Luke 9, Jesus it says the exact same thing. It's a companion passage, but he says it this way. Take up your cross daily. Everybody say daily. 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 And here's what you have to realize. Taking up your cross, denying yourself and following Jesus is something you have the opportunity to do, I mean, thousands of times in your life dozens of times in a day. You have the opportunity daily to deny yourself multiple times. And depending on the situation and the people you're around, it might be 50 times. Because certain people know how to press your buttons more than other people. And if you can't figure out why you always end up working next to the person that is the craziest, that just says the craziest stuff, it's because of God. You're like, no, that's the devil. I'm like, no, no, that's God. The reason why is he wants to give you opportunities to deny yourself because he wants to reward you. He's trying to give you treasure. He's not thinking about this week. He's thinking about the judgment seat. He's going, I can't wait to see you. I know you've got to clean up your room right now. But oh, I am going to reward you so richly. Just clean up everything on the floor that shouldn't be there. You really can do this. And he allows the trials, the challenges to come even dozens of times in a day so you can deny yourself, so you can persevere and so you can follow him so he can reward you. This whole thing about eternal rewards is something that can plumb line your righteousness every single day. All of your interactions. See, we tend to think the judgment seat is gonna be like, okay, all you people that had massive ministries and won all these people to the Lord, come on over. Oh, reward, reward, reward. And all you little people, here's a dime. It's not gonna be like that. Because the rewarding at the judgment seat isn't about the size of anybody's ministry. It's about obedience and humility and generosity and love and serving. It's about persevering. It's about denying yourself daily. And all the thousands of opportunities you have, the rewards at the judgment seat is a composite of the thousands of choices that you make in your life to lean into righteousness and reject unrighteousness. Am I making sense? You can bank right now if you will deny yourself, take up the cross and persevere. Forgive and love and bless and quit trying to get your own way and quit self-protecting and being self-absorbed. You can bank. There are treasures he wants to load you down with. 
Your day in and day out life can be plumb-lined by this truth that God sees, God knows, God cares, and he wants to reward you. Oh, beloved, the opportunity of a lifetime in this age to lean into righteousness and press against unrighteousness, and God is standing on the other side wanting to reward every act of a heart that's obedient in love. Living the cross daily is about, I mean, the reward of the kingdom of God. And it's crazy to me because you would think he died for us, we have to die for him. It's an expectation. And he calls us to discipleship as an expectation, but then adds rewards onto it. He's so kind. He's so generous. He's so good. He's so good. Every single day of our lives, we have the opportunity and the grace of God by gratitude and obedience to press into righteousness, resist unrighteousness, and ultimately receive eternal rewards. As we daily persevere choosing righteousness, the Lord takes note of our actions and will reward us eternally. Eternal rewards are the result of the composite of thousands of daily decisions for righteousness made over a lifetime. Oh, I, man, I want you to be so richly rewarded at the judgment seat. I, I mean, I just want it. When, when, when you stand up there and your name is called, I just want it to be the most ridiculously awesome moment of like treasure and blessing and reward ever. That's why I'm calling you to intense discipleship, intensely living the cross because the day of reckoning is coming and he wants to bless you and reward you. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's stand. Let us stand.